You know how busy God is doing things around the world right now? He's rescuing kids out of slavery. He's seeking and saving the lost. There's so many other things God is doing all over this world, yet you do not have to worry if, if we have his undivided attention or not, because he's fully present here, just like he's fully present in so many other places. And we give God thanks for that. Amen? Can you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. If you're willing, if you're comfortable, sometimes it's good for me to just open my hands uh, in my lap. Um, Wherever you are, open your hearts before the Lord. For God, all that we are, we want to bring before you right now. And I want to ask where you are, will you quietly, silently just offer up a few prayers and I'll lead you through these. Can you just quietly where you are, offer up a prayer of thanks to God, a thanks. A prayer of thanks for his character, his nature, maybe something he has done in your life recently. Just offer up that prayer. In prayer, I also want you to think about this. There are multiple times Jesus would ask people, what do you want me to do for you? And if that request came before you today from God, how would you answer that? What is the cry of your heart? And lift that up to God now. I want you to think of one person in your life who either they are far from God because they've never known him, or maybe they have known him in the past, yet they have gone wild. They are not living as people who are in the light. I want you to lay them before the throne of God, asking for the light of God to break into their darkness. Just lay that person before the Lord. And lastly, whoever that person is who you laid before God, I want to ask you to ask God to give you wisdom, boldness, and courage of how you can be a light in that person's life. How, let the Spirit of God guide you in this time. Of Is it a text message, a phone call, an email, a letter you need to write? How, how does God want you to act upon that relationship? And God, my prayer right now in front of a church family and friends and some people I've never seen before, yet I'm grateful they are here. My prayer is that if I speak any word over the next few minutes that doesn't honor your heart, your scripture, your nature, your mission, may those words fall to the ground, bear no fruit, not be remembered. But if I speak words that honor your character, your nature, your mission, and who you are, may those words enter deep into our hearts, penetrate, establish roots, and bear great fruit. Through Jesus we pray in the church said. Amen. Uh, as Justin mentioned earlier, last week was our 901 offering, and we were very intentional about having a restore day following the 901 offering because 
We never want to be a church that just throws money at things. Money can bless and advance the kingdom of God in amazing ways, but we want our hands to stay connected to whatever money we give in the world. So as we gave to the 901 offering last week, which, by the way, we're just a few thousand dollars short of our goal. In fact, I I think it's the best first week offering we've had towards a special offering in about three years. So I want to thank you. Can we thank God for the generosity? Yeah. God and thank you. Uh, so I look forward to uh, all the ways we're going to serve in the kingdom uh, later this afternoon. Let me make you aware of a couple of things. They are in your bulletin. One is next Sunday is Mother's Day, so a heads up for a lot of you in the house, all right? Um, and for those of you who a week like this reminds you that your mother is no longer present or uh, maybe it's just a, a holiday that you're reminded of a severed relationship or uh, for anyone here who experiences moments of grief, uh, on days like this, we remember you, we give you voice, we pray for you. But next Sunday at 9 a.m., uh, I'm going to host another baptism class. You can see it in your bulletin. I do these every 18 months or so. If there's anyone here interested in baptism, uh, interested in how to talk to friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers about baptism, sometimes when I host these, people come because you are questioning your own baptism because maybe you were baptized and it was all because you were saying no to hell and you weren't really saying yes to Jesus or all your friends were getting baptized and you've just lived with these doubts. I, anybody who wants to engage in a deeper conversation about why baptism matters, we're going to have that discussion next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. I also want to speak just a, a little deeper into what Justin Ardrey mentioned earlier. On May 12th, it's a Thursday night from 6 to 8. I'm hosting a forum. The best title we could come up with is Church Diversity, but there are five different demographics that I'm asking to speak into this night. So I'm hosting the evening. I'll facilitate it. I'll have a little intro. I do a conclusion. But there are five different demographics, and I, there could be 20. But this church is becoming more and more eclectic and diverse in a number of ways, race, social class, theological background, um, what part of the United States and the world that you come from. So on that Thursday night, we're going to have an older person who speaks talking about what's it like to be an older person in a multi-generational church and what would you like other people to know? I'm going to have a younger person address the same thing. What's it like to be a younger person in a multi-generational church? I'm going to have an African-American speak that night of what's it like to be an African-American in a church that 10 years ago was 99% white. What's it like to be an African-American in a church that's still predominantly white? And what would you like other people to know? I'm going to have um, uh, someone who uh, has been divorced in the past. What's it like to be a divorced person in a church? This is a growing uh, demographic, a group we pray for a lot. And what would they like other people to know? We're also, I'm also going to have someone speak that night who wrestles with faith and doubt because I'm having more and more conversations with people who have a lot of questions of faith. So I want someone to speak into that night, that night as well. So put it on your calendar. Bring friends. It'll be a wonderful evening. Uh, I love how God believes in the church. And this was God's plan A to advance the kingdom 2,000 years ago, and it's still God's plan A. To bring together a group of people, to light them on fire, to give them a mission that is bigger and greater than themselves, to give everything they have to Jesus and all they do. The success and health of a church is solely dependent upon a church's willingness to go deeper and deeper into Jesus. 
It's not about clinging to the traditions of a church, and traditions don't always have to be bad. It's not about being in the right brand name of a church, because you may have 50 years perfect attendance in a church of Christ or in a Baptist or in a Methodist church. That's not, that's not what God's looking for when it comes to being a person of God in the world. It's how are we going deeper and deeper into Jesus, and how is Jesus inviting us to become greater participants and how God is doing things all over the world. Um, so I want to talk just for a moment today as we prepare for Restore Day to go out. And by the way, Restore Day is a big day for us because there are events that we're engaging in, but we hope to be a church that's preparing one another and equipping us to be people of restoration everywhere we go, right? Uh, but open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be some this morning. And I want to begin by talking about citizenship. Like, what does it mean to be a citizen? Because people in the first century were coming to know God, they were surrendering their lives to Jesus, and they saw this as they were now citizens of the kingdom of God. This was a whole new allegiance for them. Now, for me, I carry around a a money clip. I gave up wallets like four or five years ago, all right? Um, And in this money clip, I have a few things that can get me in the places. All right, so I carry, I don't know, maybe eight cards in here, and these are all really important for me. Let me just walk you through them for a moment, because these give me access into places that some of you could not get into if you did not have access to one of these, all right? So um, this, is, this is the key for me to get into this church. I can swipe this, I can get in. This gives me access to this building, it gives me access to the security codes, it gives me access into your checking accounts and your saving accounts, and <laughs> I, I know your social security numbers, all right? So this is a very important card for me. Um, this next card gives me access to the zoo. We've been here eight years. Every year, we re-up our membership to the zoo. We love walking around there. We live right by it. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's peaceful. If you have not been since Friday, I know it rained a lot Friday, the Zambezi River is incredible, all right? The hippos finally have a home, all right? I mean, they are so grateful, and you can tell. But if you don't have this, you're not going to have access into that place. This is my Blue Cross Blue Shield card. Anytime I go to a clinic or I'm taking my kids to a clinic, this card, I need this card to receive certain kind of care. Next to that is my insurance card. Chuck Petrie, State Farm is on here. And um, hopefully I don't have to show this that much, but if I get in a fender bender, this comes in handy. If a cop mistakenly pulls me over for some reason, all right, he's going to ask to see this. I have a couple of credit cards that I carry around. I have a membership to the Croc. This is where I choose to work out. Now, now at the Croc, they're really, um, they want to have a secure building. So not only does this get me into the Croc, this also gets me into the weight room. And I also have to swipe this if I need to use the restroom. So once I get into the crock, I can't lock up this card. I have to have this card to get into certain places. I need this card that after I work out, this is what gets me close to the kitchen so I can get those buffalo fried chicken strips with french fries because 30 minutes on the elliptical, you should be able to eat anything you want to eat, all right? It's important for me. But there are two other cards that one of them I carry around and one I, uh, I always don't. But two cards that I need in order to get every other card I've talked about today a driver's license, and a social security card. Do you know what I did to earn a social security card? I was born. That was it. I did not pass a test. I didn't have to run a 100-meter dash. 
I, I had to be born. Now, the driver's license was about how responsible could I be. They weren't looking for me to be a perfect driver, but they were uh, wanting me to be a responsible driver. And I need those two cards to get almost any other card that gives me access to anything else. Those are the cards that let all the people in the government and people making big decisions know I am a citizen. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of Texas and now Tennessee. I'm a citizen of Shelby County. These cards let people know that. And those cards are about identity. And your driver's license is also about responsibility. All right, now, when it comes to being a citizen of the kingdom of God, it's about identity and it's about responsibility. Now, here's the thing when it comes to being a citizen in the kingdom. There are some who want the identity of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, yet they do not want the responsibility that comes with it. And there are those who may want the responsibility, like we want to serve in a way that we make the world a better place, but they want multiple identities. But when it came to being a person who was surrendering a life to Jesus, especially 2,000 years ago, you knew that you were becoming a citizen of another kind of kingdom. So when Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, Philippi was a, was a, a Roman colony, yet there were a lot of people in Philippi who weren't Roman citizens. But if you lived there and you were not a Roman citizen, you knew what citizenship in Rome could do for you. You knew the financial security it could bring. You knew all the benefits that could come with it. So if you were a citizen of Rome, there were great things that came along with that. Now, the reason Philippi began to grow uh, is because the way Rome worked is that Rome didn't want everybody to live in Rome. Rome wanted to spread the power and what they called the peace of Rome. So what they would often do is they would scatter their citizens of Rome all around other places to spread what they wanted to be the goodness of Rome. And they also didn't want all these retired military people living in the city of Rome because they had too much time on their hands. So they wanted them to go out and be farmers and entrepreneurs Philippi ended up being the city that was growing because Rome was spreading Rome and there were a lot of retired uh, military people who were living there. Even if you weren't a citizen of Rome, you knew what citizenship could do. But when you became a believer in Jesus, you knew that your citizenship was changing drastically. One of the greatest confessions, the greatest confession you can make in the first century world was Jesus is Lord. And whenever you see that show up in your New Testament, you should pause and you should see the kind of declaration they were making because when, when they were making that statement, they were claiming who was the Lord of their life, but even without saying it, they were claiming what was no longer the Lord of their life. Because when you were saying Jesus is Lord, you were also saying Caesar is not Lord. When you were claiming Jesus is Lord, you were also saying Rome is not Lord. That your citizenship, your allegiance, all that you are was now fully devoted to Jesus and everything Jesus wanted in the world. So, uh, if you look in your Bibles in Philippians chapter 3, uh, down in verse uh, 20, what it says is, But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we're expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. So Paul's reminding these people, look, you were citizens of heaven, and this is not a citizenship you're waiting for. This is a whole new identity that now has responsibility in what you are now. 
So back up to chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to walk you through this. Um, for those of you, uh, it's on the screen. Hopefully you have your Bibles in front of you. You can pull this out on your phone. I'm trusting you. I'm asking you. Uh, let's be grown-ups. We can look on our phones and look at a Bible without feeling like we have to go to Facebook or catch up on text messages for the next few minutes, right? Uh, what I ask for you is that when we engage the Bible, anytime you open up the Bible to read it, I think there are a few things you need to ask or, or do. One, you need to read it. You need to pray through it, and you need to ask, if I take this seriously, what in my life has to change? Read it, pray it. If I take this seriously, what in my life has to change? Let me walk you through Philippians 3 today. Verse 1, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So it's a fairly short letter, Philippians is. You can go home and you can read this in just a few minutes, all right? And here it's like, finally. Like Paul is letting everyone know, okay, look, I'm bringing it home. All right, here's what I need you to remember. I'm laying it on thick to end this letter. So finally, here's what I want you to take with you from what I am giving you. Finally, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. If you mark in your Bible or you take notes, Paul talks more about rejoicing in Philippians than any other book. In fact, if you look at all the other books Paul wrote, all the other letters, and you add it up how many times he uses rejoice in all the other letters, he uses uh, rejoice in Philippians as much as he does in all the others combined, which now means, okay, is he saying this because he's affirming the way the church was rejoicing, or is he saying it because they have lost their joy, and he's reminding them of, hey, you need to rejoice, like God's doing really good things in your life. He's doing things worth celebrating, and I think he's reminding them, hey, you've, you've lost your joy, so you need to rejoice. God is doing things. You've you become too divisive. You can see that in Philippians 4.2. There are too many things going on in the life of your church. You need to find joy in who God is and what he's doing in your life. You rejoice in him. Because if you lose your joy, you lose your witness, right? If you, if you lose the joy of the Lord in your life, who wants to listen to somebody who's not speaking about something with, with joy? And then Paul continues. Check this out. Verse 2. Beware of... And he, and he, says the word beware three different times. Beware of the dogs, of the evil workers, of those who mutilate the flesh. And you may read that and you're like, man, that sounds pretty hardcore. And it is because what happened is there would be these people who were surrendering their lives to Jesus. And anywhere the church was spreading, there would be Jewish people and others who would want to go to that place to disrupt the fellowship. And people would come in and they would affirm, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but you also need to pay attention to all these other Jewish laws that we've been holding on to for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, so Jesus is fine, but you also need to do this, 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 and this. And they would just lay out all these traditions, and it was placing a burden on people that God never meant for them to carry. And it was keeping them from living lives that were free in Christ. And then Paul, look in verse 4. All right, uh, apparently these people who were coming in were laying out these accomplishments and these track records and these, these resumes as if, you know, hey, I've been, a, I've, been a, I've been a Jew for 20 years. You know, I've had this much experience. You should listen to me. And here's what Paul says in verse 4. Even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh, just like all these other people are coming in trying to get you to listen to them, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Do you, do you have friends who are those friends who no longer what story you tell, they always want to one-up your story? You know what I'm saying? Like maybe those people in your workplace or in your neighborhood, everybody has that relative who any story you have, they have a story that they think is better. Raise your hand if you think of who that friend is in your life. Raise your hand if you're sitting on the same pew with that one-upper in your life. Right? 
I mean, any story you have, they have one better. You tell a funny story, they have a story that's funnier. You have a, some story of some success in your life, they got a better one. Now, I mean, it's, these aren't always bad. I mean, for instance, later on today or tomorrow, if someone comes up to you and is like, man, my preacher preached a great sermon yesterday, you have full permission to say, well, no, I don't I mean, uh, my preacher definitely went up cheer, so there are times where it can be okay, all right? But here's Paul. It's like, hey, all these people are coming in with these accomplishments and resumes. Look, if they have reason to brag, watch what I got. And then he just lays it on. This may not mean a lot to you, but it meant a lot to them. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born to Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. All All you need to know, for those of you in here who have ever hired people, what Paul just laid out, this would be the person that laid out their resume, and you don't even need a second interview with them. It's like, man, hired him on the spot. This dude has what it takes. He was smart. He was brilliant. He was intelligent. He had experience. He had zeal. He had passion. And Paul lays it all out there. And then he makes this switch and this turn that I need you to pay attention to in verse 7. Because here is Paul who's laying out all these accomplishments of his life. And now he's going to put it into perspective of what Jesus has done in his life. This is one of the most humble, life-giving moves any of us could make. And here's what he says in verse 7. Yet whatever gains I have, all these accomplishments I have in my life, these I have come to regard as lost because of Jesus. More than that, I regard as lost. um, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, as trash, as, uh, as nothing, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Isn't that a good word? Now, now here's the thing. It's, it's not bad to be driven in life, to be somebody who wants to be successful, all the degrees that some of you have, they, they, aren't, they aren't bad. It's okay to pursue some of these things. But here's what the gospel doesn't want us to do. To come before God one day and be like, God, look at all that I've done with my life. All that I've accomplished. What I've made of myself. And now, God, I'm going to give you permission to use some of this for your glory. Because God looks at that and says, look, I want to use some of that for, your glory, for my glory, but I... I want to use all of it for my glory. That the invitation of Jesus isn't to be waist deep in who Jesus is, yet from the waist up is pursuing things of this world. It's not even to be neck deep. It's all in. Everything I have is yours. And Paul says, all these accomplishments I have in my life, I would just lay down at the feet of Jesus. And one of the, the most dangerous Life-changing prayers we can pray is to empty ourselves before God. That, God, I'm coming to you completely empty. Fill me with you. In verse 10, Paul says uh, three things. I want to know, and here they are, I want to know Christ. That name alone is what saves you. That name alone is what is the center of it all. It's not the blessings Jesus gives. It's not only the gifts he gives, it's Jesus himself. I want to know Jesus. The second thing he says, and this is a three-point little sermon Paul gave, which means he's a really good preacher, right? Three points. One, 
uh, I want to know Christ. Secondly, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That what God did in raising Jesus from the dead is what God wants to do in you. I want to know the power of the resurrection. And then the third thing is this. I want to know how to share in the sufferings of Christ. I want to know how to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, do you ever read Scripture and you see three points that are made and you're like, "Eh, can I just do like two of the three? I mean, that's 66%. I mean, in English, that may not be great, but as a baseball batting average, that's pretty good, right? Um, And if you look at that order, you would think it may go, I want to know Christ, share in the sufferings that how he suffered on the cross so I can join Jesus in how he died on the cross and then experience resurrection. But the way Paul puts it is, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the share in his sufferings. Because Paul wanted people to know that when you join Jesus in the power of his resurrection, it leads you into places of suffering so resurrection power can spread. It's not resurrection power to lead you to a safe place. It's resurrection power that caused the church to be risky, adventurous people. Willing to go wherever it is that God is leading. I received an email yesterday from someone I've never met. They had read my first book that I wrote a few years ago, and they read it in one setting yesterday. And in that book, I talk quite a bit about Sycamore View, and I talk about my grief journey. And then this person quoted some of the book I wrote. Now, as an author, even as a preacher who writes out stuff sometimes, uh, there are times where people, like, use my stuff against me, you know? And there are times where people will have a quote that I've had and something I've written in the, in the past. And what this does for an author is it causes you to sit back and think, do I still believe what I wrote a few years ago? And what this person quoted was, you said in your book that you don't want to be approached by God one day or on judgment day, however that goes down, you don't want God to say, Josh, why did you always play it safe? Why did you not take more risks with your life? Why didn't you join Jesus in this great adventure? This guy was reaching out to me saying, I've just become too complacent, a college student, I've become too complacent in my life. I want to join in this great adventure. And I was able to read that and sit back and say, you know what, I I hope that's still true at 35 as it was when I wrote that when I was 31. And I hope that's still true when I'm 55 and 80. Looking for what is it that God's doing next? Where is God inviting us? You know the beautiful thing about Philippians? It was a church that was started by a bunch of women who prayed down at a river. You can read it in Acts uh, 17 or 16. And, And Lydia was one of those people who started this church in Philippi. And Lydia was this woman who was a a businesswoman, which was unbelievable in the first century. A woman who had power, who had a lot of money because she had a large home, and a woman who ran a business. She sold stuff. And then the next convert that we think may be a convert is this demon-possessed woman who was bringing a lot of money to Philippi. And then after that was this jailer who encounters God through this miracle in this jail. So what we know is that that church was made up with this weird group of people. But isn't that what God does? Bring together people who look differently and have different experiences, but we come together because we unite around the one thing that is the center of it all and that will last forever, which is that Jesus conquered the grave and he's taken care of evil and he's given the church a mission. 
So today we join in some ways in like the suffering of the world. Not, be, not always because we have what they need, but because we're following God and we're learning from God as we do this. So we're going to take communion in just a moment. We take the bread and we take the cup. We do this every Sunday. If you're here, you're invited to join with us. Barbara Brown Taylor is a great theologian, teaches at universities, written a lot of books. Now, I tell you this story every couple of years. I mean, Barbara Brown Taylor once, she said, you know, usually when we take communion, we're sitting in our pews and we're facing the front. There's nothing wrong with that. God works through this. It's how the church has taken communion for a few hundred years, not 2,000 years. Don't think it's always been like this. But God works through this, and you connect with God through moments. And she said, but what if on a Sunday, if we took the bread and the cup, and instead of sitting in a room with our faces to the front, we went to the sidewalks of wherever our churches, the facility is located, and we look out to the community God has called us to serve. And we look out with the bread in one hand and the cup in the other hand, reminding ourselves that Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. The, the cup, the blood of Jesus was shed so that we could have the release from sins and that this bread and this cup calls us into this great mission, reminds us that God invites us and gives us responsibility to people, be people who work for good in the kingdom. And so we follow God in this kind of way today. I want to ask our leaders, if you will, get in your places to receive people for prayer. I know we have some women who are here and if there's anything we can pray over you, I invite you to go and find one of these people. There's this thing that can happen in your life that can set you free. And sometimes all you need is for someone to hear the cry of your heart, to pray for you. So we have these places, these pockets all around here where we'd love for you to take advantage of these. Rebuke any form of embarrassment in your life as you move there go to receive a blessing from God. If there's something we can do for you, we have some elders in, uh, up here at the front. If this is a day you need to confess Jesus as Lord to be baptized into Christ, if this is a day where we can pray over you, we invite you to come. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song. Lord, we